Well, before uh, we get started, and I, I do have some preliminary things to do, and I've actually uh, been given permission by uh, Pastor Matt to do this. Actually, I wasn't given permission. He said, do this. So, uh, so I just want to share real quickly kind of where we're at. Uh, some of you may have remembered me being here back in April. I think it was late April, early May. And, and unfortunately, at that time, my wife wasn't feeling well, so she was not with us, so I was running solo. Uh, but uh, we were able to, uh, to, to share some time with you, and it was really exciting to be able to do that. Um, I see people in, in the uh, congregation here that I know, uh, uh, Abe and Jordan back there. I, I've, I've been with them on many numerous occasions where we just happen to be table to table as we uh, share in our ministry and stuff. Michaela all the way in the back. Uh, some of you may or may not know, but way back when, well, I don't want to make it sound like Michaela's that old. Uh, Michaela uh, actually went with us to Challenge back in 2012. And uh, our uh, youth group uh, took her along with uh, Elizabeth and Lucas to Challenge in New Orleans. Uh, that started a long relationship with both Pastor Matt, but also with this church. Uh, because we've had opportunities to come back here and see them in a play uh, and, and worship here and now come and spend time with you. We are on mission right now. Um, John, you did a fantastic job uh, in, in saying where we're at because we're everywhere and nowhere. Uh, we are, are sort of kind of living in a 18-foot travel trailer uh, and yet also living where people are generous enough to give us a place to stay like Ruth, for example, uh, last night, um, and we are currently at about 21% in our support raising. And we've been at this for probably what would be about um, the beginning of this year as far as actually support raising. Um, it's, a, it's a slow process, but we are trusting that God knows exactly where we need to be, when we need to be there, and how we need to do that. Uh, so we would ask that you would pray for us as we continue to uh, support raise. There is a, a space for us in Baltimore and D.C. to serve as city team leaders. <clears throat> for those of you that might wonder, well, what does that mean? That means that there's a hole in Baltimore and D.C. as a city team leader is not currently serving there full time and other people within our small team are covering that place. So we want to be on the field by next year because by next year in the summertime, there's going to be more students coming into Baltimore and D.C. and they'll need to continue to do that work that's being done there. But if we're not there yet, then they need to pick up the slack with everybody else. Uh, so please be praying for us as we um, continue to seek God for uh, where it is and how it is that we want to share and, and who is going to help us get onto the field. Well, if you didn't catch it, that is a small snippet from uh, the older movie, uh, The Music Man. And that particular part is the first real interaction that Harold Hill, the traveling salesman, has with the school board, who, as you might have caught uh, by the mayor's wife, they don't get along. Matter of fact, what does she say? They've hated each other for years. And then all of a sudden, they're singing in four-part harmony. Um, I've been blessed uh, to enjoy music quite a bit in my uh, lifetime. Uh, matter of fact, that is something that uh, I, I really feel um, a part of who I am uh, to do music. And I was uh, given the opportunity uh, at eight years old or uh, in, in, a, in a young age to actually participate in a community players in the Music Man. Now, at that point, I was just a 
a city townsperson learning all the different different uh, songs and stuff. But later on in the eighth grade, I um, was singing in the choir, uh, the chorus, I guess you would say, in, in school. And um, the chorus director, she kind of caught that some of us boys could sing pretty decent for eighth graders. And uh, she gathered us, gathered us all together, eight of us, and made an octet. And we began to sing four-part harmony as an octet. And that actually then led later on to when I was in high school, this play, The Music Man, being done by our school, and the school asked for the guys that do four-part harmony to make sure they had four guys to do the part of The Music Man. And so uh, J.C. Squires, for those of you that may not know, that's the guy that has the high voice, was the one that I got the part to play as a tenor in the four-part harmony uh, of, of The Music Man. Now, uh, it was kind of exciting. It was sort of a, a moment in my life where I felt like, wow, this is, this is really cool. It's an important part. Uh, it's a, a neat opportunity. I want to catch something, though, and I, that I said earlier. These guys hated each other. And suddenly the harmony of music brought them together. The idea of being able to work together and to hear that part that they would play, the four of them, together. Harmony sounds wonderful when it's well executed. Obviously, those, that's the Buffalo Bills, and in their time, they were, they were pretty good. Um, and, and so when they sing well together, when people sing well together, it sounds really good. But the idea of harmony does not only apply to music. So today what we're going to look at is the harmony within your immediate family, or Maybe your extended family. Or let's even take it a bit further in your church family. Even in your neighborhood. Now some of you may not know this, but for seven years in Christ Community Church in Ashland, Ohio, I served uh, initially as the youth pastor and then later on as the family pastor. So I am sort of drawing from that bit of of information, that place of, of family. But I promise you that I will not leave any of you out. I am not preaching specifically to the average family, mom, dad, two and a half kids. How does that work anyway? I'm going to be speaking to all of us about this idea of harmony in our homes, in our family, in our neighborhood. Would you please turn with me to the book of Malachi? The book of Malachi, I'll be reading uh, out of uh, the book of Malachi chapter 4. And we're going to look together at the last chapter in the Old Testament. So if you're still kind of wondering, where is Malachi? Just turn to Matthew and then go back one. And you'll find the book of Malachi. Malachi, I'm going to be looking at chapter 4. And I'm going to be using the English Standard Version. Uh, Follow along with me if you would. I'll start in verse 1. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, when all of the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
and you shall tread down the wicked, for those will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Holy God, you are the one that we seek today. You are the one that we worship and glorify Above all else, you exist. There is nothing greater, nothing higher than you. Lord, we thank you for your word this day. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us through this word. I ask, Lord God, that you would take this humble servant, that I might share your word with others, encourage us, exhort us and challenge us, but also give us comfort. I pray, Lord God, that Anything that I say and everything that I say would glorify you. And if there be anything that is not of you or that I misstep, Lord, I pray it fall on deaf ears. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. So here's the big idea. Let's just start right off the bat. Is there harmony in your home? Is there harmony in your church? Is there harmony in your neighborhood? Some of you might often or might really come right off the bat and say, well, that's a, that's a tough, challenging question. Sometimes there probably isn't harmony in your home. Sometimes, uh, depending on the age of your children, it might be quite a bit of racket going on in, in your home. Sometimes that racket sounds quite harmonious. You're like, oh, listen to the kids. They're playing. They're so wonderful. Other times you might be going, quick, go get the kids because they're going to hurt themselves. And so that is the question we want to ask. But I want to go a little step further and look beyond just the idea of that harmony in the immediate home and look at how harmony looks even when we interact with one another. It might come as a surprise to you that I chose this particular passage. This seems a little odd to use as a passage to speak of harmony. There's quite a bit of indications that this powerful prophecy being laid out by Malachi is filled with some rather strong language about treading on people and, and fire and, 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 and then there's leaping calves and we're going we're gonna to have to kind of break this all down to kind of understand it a little bit better. I believe that we can look through this passage and see that prophecy, this prophecy is a cry that was meant to ignite the children of Israel And yet it echoes from the past into our present. So when I initially read the scripture, I focused quite a bit on verse 6, especially from my perspective of being a family pastor and that idea of, oh, yes, what a great word. Turn the father's hearts back to the children and the children's hearts back to the father. But yet there's a lot more going on in here than just passage, uh, the the verse of verse 6. And so let's look a little bit more at what's going on here. So if you would, if you choose to, you can keep your Bible open. And just as I've kind of done last time I was here, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to talk about different things. And so you may want to refer back and look in your Bibles as I speak. First off, 
let's talk about Malachi. Malachi is a, an interesting name. Matter of fact, if you look, some of your Bibles may actually read from my messenger. Malachi, the name, is really not necessarily a name, but rather an office. And so you, you actually get this idea of the word of the Lord from my messenger. Well, that's from Malachi. That's his name. When you study this prophet and his prophecy, it helps to know a little bit about him and who he is. Matter of fact, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible, it favors that beginning of by the hand of my messenger. Malachi is actually the last inspired messenger of the Old Testament. He announces the advent of the great messenger that we now then see in the New Testament. So that book would have probably been written somewhere around 400 years ago before Jesus is born. Another researcher indicates that most likely in Malachi's day, the walls of Jerusalem were either already being built or, or were coming to the end. So you might say, well, walls of Jerusalem being... Yeah, this is the time after the exile when Nehemiah and Ezra have come and they brought the people together and they said, let's rebuild Jerusalem, let's come back together, let's reset ourselves. And the, the word of God is being sent to them and, and they're trying to get themselves back together having come back from exile in Babylon. So now this is when Malachi and his prophecy is being shared. Malachi is considered a minor prophet. Does that mean he's less than the major prophets? Anybody know? No. Actually, major and minor doesn't mean better and worse, but rather that his prophecy isn't quite as large and as long of a time frame as, say, Isaiah. If you look at the book of Isaiah, his prophecy is, well, quite long, and there's much time that it covers. So look back at the passage with me. We're going to start at verse 1, and I'm just going to cover a few things to help us understand this, this word that we've looked at and read. In the first verse of chapter 4, we see that Malachi is speaking about the judgment day and the consequences of those who have not received him as Lord and have done evil in his sight. Then in the second verse, there is a contrast of this prophecy that the ones who fear the Lord will actually rise with healing. Now, Deb and I have, have read this passage uh, a couple of times too, and we often kind of chuckle at that idea of, of the calves. What does it say? Leaping from their stalls. Have you ever seen calves or even cows leap? It's, it's rather interesting. It's, it's kind of fun too because calves maybe not so much, but cows, I've seen cows leap. And that's a lot of, lot of body to leap, if you would, when you think of a cow leaping. But yet they're, they're, there's an excitement that comes from them. And, and having lived in Ashland, uh, we've been around some of the farms that, that we actually see uh, that happen. So think of just the joy that this prophecy is trying to extend of the idea of calves leaping from the stalls. Verse 3 indicates a victory of good over evil for those who have been judges for, judged for their evil are trampled on like ashes by the righteous. And then in verse 4, Malachi gives this exhortation to remember the Lord's statutes and laws and to remind them of what the children of their fathers long ago did. Which is very interesting because 
as I said, the walls of Jerusalem are being rebuilt, Nehemiah, Ezra. So they're being sort of again reminded by another prophet of what they had forgotten, what they had not followed, and what brought them into 70 years of exile. They are the children of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is appealing to them to not just remember and say, well, we're, we're, the, we're the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not, not to just declare it, but to live it out as if they too are following in the steps of those great patriarchs. A further study into this passage actually helps us understand a lot too about the prophecy, not just that Malachi is sharing directly in this moment in time, but in the future. This is the only passage in the prophets that speak of a future ministry in Elijah and of Elijah. Further study tells us that if we look at Malachi 3.1, it speaks of a messenger who prepares the way of the Lord's coming. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have you ever heard of someone preparing the way of the Lord? Yes. In, how, in, in Matthew 11, 7 through 10, we read that John the Baptist was the messenger from Malachi 3.1 who prepares the way of the Lord. Even before John the Baptist was born, an angel of the Lord declared that he would be this messenger, saying it in this way, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That from Luke 1, 17. And so this brings these two prophecies of Malachi in 3, 1 and Malachi 4, or verses 5 and 6 together with John the Baptist being that fulfiller of prophecy. So when we see the New Testament, that idea of the hearts and the children of the children to the fathers and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, it shows that reconciliation is beginning to happen between unbelieving, disobedient generation of Israelites in John's time, John the Baptist, with the believing ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Isaac, and others. Levi, Elijah. So finally, let's not miss this part in verse 6. Without John's ministry, God coming to earth as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come not as a blessing, not as a savior, but rather as a judge to curse the earth. Or as it says in your passage in verse 6, to what? Strike the land due to the unrepentance of God's people. So that ends us to this. And this brings us to how do we process this prophecy? What do we do with this? Matter of fact, some of you may even be like, this is all great stuff, but so what? Like, what does that mean for me? We're not Israel. We're matter of fact, we're years upon years after Christ's birth. And is and and, and this prophecy is you're saying is fulfilled by John the Baptist. Does it still have value to us today? We've not been returned to our homeland 
have to rebuild our homes and cities. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to be very strong with you. I think this still applies to us today. It's time to wake up and recognize that we can't keep listening to preaching from different points in time, sharing the gospel, going to Sunday school, hearing a message, taking on the words that God says, and then sort of kind of going about the rest of our lives and the rest of our day as if that was just sort of a nice thing to hear today. Why do you come? Who, are, who have you come to see? Who have you come to listen to? Not just somebody to preach the word, but to go and do that word when you leave this place to be changed transformed and move forward to reach out to your neighborhood to your family and say how can i be a disciple of christ and help others to do that as well surely the day is coming as it reads and it will burn like a furnace all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble and that day that is set to come it will set them on fire says the lord almighty What does this look like for us? Do we have strife? Is there harmony in our home, church, and community? Are we taking his word seriously? We need to be listeners and doers of his word. And that leads us to the next point. Well, what's at stake if we don't listen? If we just so what this? The commentator Roger Ellsworth writes this. The ministry of John the Baptist would prove to have a profound effect on the family life of the people of Israel. So when John was in the desert crying out, it was making a profound effect on the people. It would turn the hearts of fathers towards their children, the hearts of children towards their fathers. Do we too need that turning? Are we in need of a turn? Not just fathers to children, but to one another. Are we in in, in struggle and, and, and striking a not-so-wonderful chord as we come in contact with one another. He says, uh, he continues, and that turning can come only as parents and children find a common bond in Christ and in whom John spoke of. One of the evidences that people have truly found Christ is the love that they have for one another. Where the love exists, There is blessing. Unfortunately, where it does not, it can lead to a curse. And so God is still calling all of us. If you and your children and your children's children do not respond, unfortunately, there's no real nice way to say this. It leads to devastation. I'm not trying to scare you. There's children in this room. I'm not trying to create a a, a sense of, of of angst and anxiety and leave you from this place, but rather a sense of let's continue to seek God and find the joy that he's provided for us in his word. The joy that we know that, yes, in John's day when he was turning the people, Christ had not yet begun his ministry. Matter of fact, he hadn't even died and rose from the dead, which we now today can do what? Rejoice in. We are just coming up to the what what some might call the precipice of what time of year? Christmas. And the 
preparation, the advent of his coming, of his birth. We celebrate it year after year. Are we leaping from the stall like a calf with joy and excitement? Are we going out and sharing that with our family and our friends and our neighbors? Do you know the joy of Christ? Have you found Christ? And some might say, I didn't know I need to look for him. And yet, we are still finding those that do not know him. Parents, he is calling you to turn your hearts to your children, to bring them up, as it says in the word of God, in the admonition of the Lord. Do you think that you are not qualified to teach them spiritual things? I say, no, you are qualified. It is so easy for us as pastors and teachers, Sunday school teachers, to sort of get caught up in this place where we have given back the responsibility to teach the next generation. Oh, you have the degree. You went to school. You're so much smarter than I am. And in some cases, I find myself going, but I only get an hour with you, or with your children, I should say. And then after that, they go back home. They spend more time with you. Don't miss those opportunities. So testify to the work of the Lord in your life and talk about God, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, when you rise and when you sleep and go to bed when you travel down the road and for some of us that means quite often when we travel your children's future is at stake and i'm not talking about their physical abilities as wonderful as it is to be the next running back for you name it college or the next great baseball player on a baseball team that is in a professional league. That is a great future, but it's not a future of eternity. And it will not guarantee that they know Christ. Children, he is calling you to turn your hearts to your parents and obey them. Remember that God promises in the Ten Commandments, the one commandment that is with a promise, which is what? Honor your mother and your father. And what's the promise? That it might go well with you. That you might live long in the land. And so, listen to them. Follow them. I tell you this, they may not always know the answers to your questions. Quite possibly the questions that you have as children, they've been asking for many years themselves. And they are still seeking God and godly people and and ways to know more about that answer to the question that they might have. But give them respect as they've been given to you by God to learn and to grow in the world so that you may live successful as an adult and pass to your children the good news of Jesus Christ. But let me take this a step further because that's fathers and children, right? That's right out of the scripture, is it not? Brothers, sisters, Can you exhort each other and encourage one another and share that gospel? Some of you, I am not unaware, 
have served as the parent as a brother or sister because you needed to, because there was a, a, a need for someone to come alongside. And so older sister said, come here, girls, boys, come on. And your example may lead to the change. Somebody, I'm sure, has a testimony about how their sister led them to the Lord or their brother and his example led them to Christ. Grandparents, wow. I've, I've, I've really learned some neat things about grandparents and, and some ministry about grandparents. Grandparents, you often at times, in some cases, play a greater role in the lives of your grandchildren than parents do in their children. Sometimes there's just a way that grandma and grandpa just really impress upon their, their grandchildren. I know my grandma did. And even though at times I over, overemphasized it and was challenged at one point to be careful about trying to go to heaven on my grandma's coattails, my grandma really impressed upon me my faith. Grandparents, you have a great role to play. And so don't miss that opportunity. Don't give up even on your children. I've known many a, a parents to pray for their kids well, well into their older ages and find that their children finally at age 50 come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the testimony of prayer from that mom or dad is incredible. And so even now I say to you as generations, we talk about a lost generation. Generations to reconcile generations. I realize that many of you don't always have peace and harmony You don't always see harmony, but harmony begins when we start to fulfill our part in the family, in our homes, in the ways in which we are working with one another. So what do we do? Here's where we close. What does God say we should do? How does his word tell us what to do? If you want, you can take down these particular verses on the back of the sheet of, uh, of the bulletin where, where there's place for notes. But what does God's word tell us about this idea of unity and family harmony, unity in the body of Christ, which is his home as well, his place where he resides with us? Let's seek God's word and help us to live out the idea of that harmony. So I'd like to share with you a series of passages that I've found to be of value in bringing about family harmony and unity. First, Colossians 3.13. And it reads, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. There are times within families, whether they be church family or home, that we have difficulties, that we don't agree, that we don't always treat each other very well. Don't let those disputes become serious grudges, things that sit and fester inside of you, but rather let us slip quickly into forgiveness and reconciliation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live along in the land the Lord has given, the Lord your God has given to you. As I said before, this is One of the commandments that comes with a promise. And the Bible says very clearly to honor your father and mother. Now, I am not naive to the fact that there are problems. That 
Some of you could tell me stories of parents that were not worthy of honor. Difficult stories, challenges that you may have faced. I'd ask that you find your own special way to love and honor the father and the mother in your family. And I pray even now with you that God would give you wisdom and discernment on how you might honor and respect them even in the midst of difficult, difficult situations and difficult memories of challenges with mom and dad. Next one, Timothy 6, 12, reads as follows. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Is there fighting in your home? No, no, there's never any fighting. There's never any arguments. But yet this here, when Paul speaks to Timothy, is focused on the fighting of the good fight of faith. Encourage your family to have faith-filled moments, times of prayer, times of study, gathering around the table and discussing what was like today. If you've never done this before, if you've never prayed for your family, if it feels incredibly awkward to grab the hands of mom and dad and kids and all together and go, I don't pray out loud. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for the food you've given us. Amen. It doesn't have to sound grandiose. So I ask that you would consider that. If you've never prayed with your family, might I encourage you today, would you do it? Would you take just one time tonight and gather your kids and your family together, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother? I don't care who lives in your family. That's your household. Gather your household and pray for one moment. Next, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. From youngest to oldest, no one is better than another. And we are all made in God's image. So even in this family, each of us play a part, a role within the church. And I'm sure you've heard this. I can't imagine that Pastor Matt would not have said how each of us serve together as one to bring together the family of God. That none of us be, do, be doing anything we do out of selfish ambition, but out of a desire to be humble find ways to get along with each other. Just this past week, I had a very difficult situation where I am in a blended family. My father has remarried, and my stepmother has pancreatic cancer and is going through a very difficult time. She's now in stage four, and her Daughter and two sons, adults, we're not talking children here, are, well, they're scared. I mean, let's, let's be real. This is the mother that they grew up with, that, that, that they treasure, and she is struggling. And my brother and I at times come 
to their house, but we don't live in Maryland. Well, we don't live there yet, but we will eventually. There's struggle at times. They're concerned. Hey, you can't just come in here and expect mom to do everything all the time. And so out of struggle and fear and all, you know, they're, they're wrestling. They're like sharing things with us and we're struggling too. And so rather than lash out and say, I didn't just come in here so I could take, we said, whoa, stop. Be humble. Recognize the struggle they're facing. Recognize sometimes people will come at you with a very strange attitude, something that's not normal, and we don't know what they might be struggling with. We don't know what they're facing today. So before you attack with attack, stop and take a moment to pray. What is God doing? What do they need in the midst of that struggle? Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, when families gather together, it's tempting to do what? Did you hear about Aunt Lois? I once got this book from someone, you might know him, he wrote a book about resisting gossip. It's a great book if you haven't read it. It's hard because we're, we, we can often, what can we usually do to make it look good? I want to tell you about a prayer request I have. Do you know so-and-so is going through? And if we're not careful, we could very well be doing what? We could be gossiping. So let's be careful about that. Behaving in harmony is very difficult. Proverbs 11.29, he who brings trouble in his family will inherit only wind, and a fool will be servant to the wise. Good things happen when families are in harmony, and it's everyone's benefit when we live our lives right and stay out of trouble. And so children, are you looking to find ways to bring trouble and disharmony into your home? You may do it without even realizing it. Parents, are you making it more difficult for your children to find your lead so they can join in the song of your home and harmonize with what's going on? See, the hard part about that is, is that means we have to do what? Lead. When four-part harmony is done well, one person has to do what? Lead. Yeah. And, and they have to sing that melody that everybody else can then surround with harmony on. So somebody has to hold the line. Are we working together even as a church? Is your pastor holding the line so that everybody else can come around and follow the direction that God has laid upon his heart and the elders' hearts and those that are in leadership so that you can do the work of the body? Finally, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Families need guidance and clear direction. The kind that only comes from trusting the Lord. There are many questions and mysteries that we have in life. And it's not good for us to go it alone. 
but we are here on earth as a family to come and grow together, work together, whether it be our immediate family, our extended family, our church family, wherever we may go. Do you need to go back to your children and ask for reconciliation? Children, do you need to go back to your parents and say, I'm sorry? I pray that God will work in your lives today. That you will choose to be as Joshua who said, as for me and my house, 